Hello, and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn Ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the concept of the false self. But before we do that, I want to let you know that we have several group prayer retreats coming up this fall. Do you want to learn to pray better? Do you need time away from all the noise? Time to just be with God? To listen and to be heard yourself? Then we invite you to join us in the beautiful Colorado mountains for a weekend of solitude, prayer, and encouragement. These aren't your normal retreats. We don't have a program and we don't have curriculum. Instead, we offer support and guidance as you spend lots of time alone with God. So whether you're a veteran or a beginner, you'll find that our contemplative prayer retreats are for you. Come away with Jesus and rest a while. Sign up at signpostin.org. And now, here's the show. Hey, Brandon, great to see you. You too, Matt. Good to see you on the back porch. So um, I figure we could just jump right in um, because the last few nights I've been reading in your book on the chapter of the false self. There was a lot of things in there that was just really resonating with me. It, it made me think of some stuff that, that I can personally relate to and, and stuff that I've had in my own experience. And I, if it's okay, I'd just like to, to kind of, we, you and I have talked about this. Yeah. You and I have had these conversations, but it might be good for our guest in the third chair to kind of bring them into the conversation. And uh, essentially it was back in, I mean, shoot, almost a decade ago now, I was going through a bit of an identity crisis because at the time my first marriage had had fallen apart mm. and I was living in a new city. I was by myself and I was really struggling with who am I? Mm. Because oh, I built a lot of my identity on this desire to be a good husband and a good father and a good Christian man. Yeah. And, um, and all of a sudden, all that was just gone. Mm. And I was, I was having a really hard time. I was having a hard time uh, figuring out how I fit into the world. I mean, literally, the idea of my identity had just crumbled. And the big question was, is, is who am I? Mm-hmm. And, in, and in, at that time, all that I really had room for in my worldview was essentially, well, you're either a saint or a sinner. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I'm clearly not a saint right now. Um, this is bad. And things that you mentioned in your book about the false self uh, were things, all the things I was struggling with because I was building my identity on things that were external, things that could be quantified and measured and seen and approved of. Mm-hmm. And all of those things that that I, I had built that on were just gone or had fallen apart or had failed. You know, fortunately, it was that middle section of Romans around Romans chapter eight, when it talks about where our true identity lies and the identity of being a child of God. Yeah. Um, and essentially, uh, the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirits that we are children of God was a m- major milestone for me because I went from essentially almost assuming the identity of a failure mm. and the identity of this a, a failed Christian to becoming 
or I guess accepting the testimony of the Holy Spirit to say, no, 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 you're a child of God. Yeah. And letting that be the voice that I listened to and um, the identity that I, that I accepted. And it really wasn't even an identity. It's not an identity that I took on myself or that I created for myself. It was an identity that God himself was bestowing on me. And that was such a rescue for my soul and and definitely a milestone and and I think really began i guess a new a new stage in my Christian life and was really a kind of a new beginning yeah so i th- I thought maybe it'd be a good idea for us to talk about in this episode today this concept of the false self and specifically talking about the stuff in your book and and maybe it would be a great way a great t- thing to do to start is to just let you kind of elaborate. Whenever you talk about the false self, what are we talking about? Can you define that? Can you can you elaborate on that idea for us? Yeah. Well, first let me say thank you for that story because everything that we need to talk about is contained in what you just said. So yeah, a, a quick definition. What we mean by it is just this image that we create for ourselves of what we think we need to be in order to be lovable. Right. So, Mm. and I hear that in the story that you told and I resonate in that as a, as a husband and as a father, because I have a very similar story about my own tragedy and my own falling apart where I met God. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it had a lot to do with realizing that the, the father and the husband that I thought I needed to be in order to be acceptable or valuable, that is lovable in this world, I wasn't that. And when I when it came home to me and when I realized I'm not what I think I need to be in order to be lovable, hmm. like you, I was, I crashed. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Where do you go right. from there? So I think, yeah, so the false self is that. The false self is... It's an image that we create about ourselves. It's our attempt. It's who we want to be without God, made by ourselves. Hmm. You know, we want to be a self-made person. We want to define for ourselves what gives us value, what gives us love. And most of us are doing that without even realizing it. We just find, we find ourselves in it. Um, The reason it's called a false self is because twofold. One, like you discovered and like I discovered, it's not who we really are. It's a, it's an image of ourselves that is not in concert with the reality of who God mm-hmm. made us to be. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a lie. It's a false thing. It's also false because it's a mask that we wear. Mm. You know, we put on this image and we project this image to others. We are trying really hard to convince other people that we are the perfect fill in the blank. Right. We are the perfect father. We are the successful businessman. We are the um, the mom who has it all put together, whatever mm-hmm. it is, good student. But it's an yeah. image that we project. And I think what's happening is that we're projecting it we're we're trying to convince other people that we're this thing mm-hmm. so that we'll see reflected back um 
what we want to see. We want people to affirm us in the yeah. self-image that we have we need we think we need that we have created for ourselves in order to be lovable. Right. Um yeah, validation. Yeah. And so yeah. what it leads to is if we're st- if we're stuck in this I have to be this thing, whatever it is. I have I have to be this kind of person in order to be lovable. What it leads to is we manipulate, we control, we we even try to dominate other people to make them see us that way mm-hmm. in order for us to get what we think we need to survive. That that is that project that that reciprocation of yes you are this thing that you think you need to be. Right. On top of that is is this desire to we do that to hide our vulnerability and hide. Yeah. Cause honestly, we, we tend to think that the true self that we know that we really are, that we see when we look in the mirror is insufficient or not good enough or um, somehow would be rejected. Mm-hmm. And so we create these, these masks, these false selves, these um, ways of covering up our true self, because we have this deep fear that if we were ever truly known, we would not be loved. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the authors that I really like is a guy named Henry Nowen. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you say his last name. It's it's French, I believe. So I can't, I don't speak French and you need to be able to pronounce it French-like, but I can't do that. <laughs> well, um, that's funny because I was thinking, I'm not sure I know if I'm pronouncing his first name right. Isn't yes. it like if he's French, isn't it supposed to be Henri or something <laughs> like that? I think it is. So maybe I should let you do this. Um, but Anyway, he talks about three lies that mm-hmm. we buy into about our self-image. And I, when I encountered these, they just blew open my mind because I realized that they are three different ways that Satan says the first lie, the very mm-hmm. first lie that you can't trust God. So here, here's what he says. He says that when it comes to our identity, we all buy into three different lies. The first one is, I am what I have. The second one is, I am what I do. And the third one is, I am what others say or think about me. And all yeah. three of these lies are ways that we are, are things that we buy into thinking, I will become lovable. I will be valuable. I will be safe and secure. I will be significant if yeah. somehow I have an answer to this question, right? Yeah. If what gives me value, safety, and significance is what I have, yeah. well, then I am the house I own. I am the the bank account that I have. But but you could also see this as I am the guy who has the perfect family. Mm-hmm. I am the guy who has the, the, the successful ministry. Yep. Or we might buy into the lie that I am what I do, and this is that I am not my bank account, but I am the guy who is successful in business. I am the guy who has the title, you know, I am Mm -hmm. the guy who has that degree or that book written or that maybe in today's culture, it's, I have a certain number of likes on my YouTube channel or on my Facebook posts, or, you know, I have a certain number of followers. Um, So I am what I have achieved. I think that one also comes out as, I don't think it has to be popularity in the big sense. I have seen many, I have seen many moms and dads too, who go to sleep at night 
and can't fall asleep until they've checked all the boxes in their mind of what they were supposed to accomplish that day. And that doesn't mean having a lot of people and a lot of accolades. That means I did the laundry. I did all the dishes. My kids are happy. Um, Parents especially fall into this. I am what I do because they say, my kid's success defines my value. Yep. The third one is I am what others say or think about me, which Mm -hmm. just to be vulnerable, this is the one that most often I fall into. Yeah, me too. I am what people expect of me. I am what, you know, my social status is. For me, the way this one works is my security is bound up in other people's opinion. Mm -hmm. I've talked already on this show about my own personal crisis where I I fell apart and had to deal with an anxiety disorder. And in doing that, what I discovered was that at the core of my anxiety disorder, the core of my fear, why I was trying to constantly manage everything in my life was because I was terrified that if I didn't manage it all perfectly, somebody who was in power, usually a vague person, but somebody would think poorly of me and that would be the end of me. I'd be on the street. I would have no money. My kids would be hungry and everything would fall apart. Yeah. So, We all fall into one of those lies, I believe, more than the other one, but we all buy into all of them to some degree. And at the root of that is our core original sin, that we can't Mm. trust God to provide for us, that we can't trust God's word that says he knows who we are and he has a plan for who we are. We have to take matters into our own hands. Yeah. And all the other sins flow from this sin. So here's the big insight that comes out of this. The question, who am I, always leads to the question, who is God? Interesting. Because if I am desperately trying to create a self-image or trying to create my security or secure my image, or excuse me, secure my security by creating and projecting some image of myself, I am answering the question, who is God? implicitly Mm -hmm. because he's not the person who gives me value. He's not the person who gives me security. And the next step from there is if I need to secure my own identity, I need to, I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say about me. I need to have those things or do those things or have that opinion in order to be lovable. I act like God does the same thing. And this explains so much of our Christian difficulty with prayer and with relationship with God, because we're, we're, we're acting like I have to, I have to secure these things for myself first Mm. and then God will love me. Yeah. And so our self image, our false self image, we actually end up projecting it into God and we think that's how God judges us. Hmm. So it's like we're trying to perform for God. We're trying to earn God's love and yeah. acceptance. Yeah. Think about the story you told at the beginning. You went through a crisis of self-image after a broken relationship, and you felt you felt worthless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the word that kept going over and over in my mind was just failure. Not, not just that I've failed, but I, I am a failure. I've, I, I have failed and therefore I am a failure. Was that the experience of, in a sense, God had pronounced judgment on who you were? Like the real truth of the matter is it had finally been revealed 
Yep. Matt is defined as a failure. Well, I mean, I, I know that wasn't from God. I mean, there was a very much of a sense um, that it was revealed just by nature of like it's come to light or, um, you know, the, 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 the proof is in the pudding, so to speak of, you know, here I was trying to be these things that I thought would validate my existence. And I failed at doing that. And therefore, well, then you're a failure. Mm-hmm. And, and it didn't help that I had people in my life who were basically saying the same thing to me. They're reinforcing that. Yeah. Um, which is very unhealthy and, and, and horrible. Um, but yeah, and it took me going through the book of Romans and coming across that. Wait a second. Nobody else has the right or the authority to pronounce a verdict on me except God. And here I'm reading right here in God's word that God's verdict of me is beloved child of God. Yeah. It was a revolutionary moment. It was a major milestone. Because the whole nature of what is real changed for you, right? Right. So when you read Romans and discovered God's verdict, Mm -hmm. your image of God changed. Interesting. What do you mean by that? Like how... I mean, I'm I'm tracking with you, but elaborate on that. Well, there's a whole other conversation to be had here about our image of God that we think we have and our image of God that we act according to, right? I am, if I believe I am a failure, that has been revealed. The truth of reality is I am a failure. What does that say about God if I continue and persist in believing that? It denies his word. That's because that's not who he says you are in Christ. Right. What you, what it sounds like to me, you came across was the actual word of God that says something different. And the reason, as you said, I believe your entire relationship with God, your Christian life revolutionized was because you came face to face with the God who is revealed in Christ, who only pronounces love on you. So I do think that there are people out there who do project that image onto God, that they take the false self and then mirror that onto God. And they do think that God is unloving, strict, and um, hard to please. Um, But I don't think I actually ever believed that myself because I feel like I had enough genuine encounters with God before that time that were true and loving and merciful and, and, and benevolent. And so, so I think there are people who might have that, but that's not exactly what I was saying. Um, my concept of God, I don't think was really the problem. Mm-hmm. My concept of, of myself was the problem and my identity as, as a child of God, because, and, and I think this got into just a little bit of a works righteousness thing mm-hmm. where I was under this, I think I was putting a lot of works requirements on myself to be righteous mm-hmm. and to be um, acceptable before God. Um, and and honestly, a lot of it was being acceptable towards others because yeah. at the time I put, I put a lot of my worth on what others say about me and what really where, where the, where the disconnect was for me was putting all of that on other people instead of looking to God yeah. You know, this concept of of having your existence and your worth validated, we can look to other people for that. And truth is, there's a lot of people 
that that do that and it works for them at least for now but for me i came i came to a place and i feel like god brought me to the place where i had to recognize i can't look to others yeah for that validation i can't look to others for that um for the core of my identity and you know in your book you you gave a really good metaphor of of like a solar system and what is at the center of the solar system is what everything else orbits around and what is that central thing and if it's and essentially if it's not god then everything else is going to be out of alignment and everything else is not going to orbit well yeah um because the it the heaviest you know you talk about the force of gravity and you know our our sun is massive right and if it if it was it, any different size our our entire solar system would be completely different i mean this metaphor is just working for me right now yeah and the the idea of if you don't put God in the center of your life, then nothing else is going to, is going to work right. Right. So tell me more about that. How, how for you, what does it mean for you to put God at the center of your identity? I'm not sure if what it means is, is the way I'd phrase it. I think the thing that I would say is the result of doing that means has multiple uh, implications that, that, um, work throughout the entirety of my life, namely was that a lot of accusation that I was either putting on myself or the enemy was putting on me really just fell right off, Mm. you know, basically, uh, sort of like that scene in the pilgrim's progress where a pilgrim comes before the cross and the burden that he had on his back literally just falls right. It just rolls right off of him. Mm -hmm. For me, my moment with that was recognizing that God has already accepted and approved and bestowed on me the identity that I craved and longed for for my whole life, yeah. which is to be deeply loved and known. Mm. And as soon as that became very clear, a, a lot of a, just a lot of burdens just fell away. Yeah, because I didn't have to perform anymore for other people. I didn't have to. Uh, prove to myself that I'm good enough to be loved. And if, I mean, though that, that has implications that work itself out in every aspect of my life, mm-hmm. in my work, in my relationships, in my worship of God, that concept of being fully known and fully loved by God and being a child, a beloved child of God has a transformative effect on every aspect of a person's life. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. I have a painting above my desk that I'm looking at right now that yep. is of the prodigal son. It's Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. And the reason uh, a, a, a friend, a dear friend gave it to me, it's a big old canvas um, print. And he gave it to me because of a book by Henry Nouwen by the same title, the prodigal son. Many people have read it and that's his point. Like the, the, takeaway of the entire book is that we are the beloved children of God. Mm -hmm. There it is right there. That's the difference. Who am I? If I am the beloved, if I am God's beloved child with whom he is well pleased, then you're right. Like your experience is, is my experience. I don't need the approval of others. I don't need the bank account. I don't need anything other than the love of God. I'm reminded of that quote that 
being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. Yeah. And when I came across that, I underlined that and highlighted it because I think that really just says it all. And I think that summarizes exactly everything that we've been saying in this entire episode is that living in and experiencing that and just learning to live in that reality and be that beloved is the core truth, the center of that solar system. And yeah. And I think, yeah, I think there's a lot more to unpack here. And so maybe we need to do another episode on this topic as we even sort of struggle to get our words around it. Sure. But I think, but I think you're right. Like if, if we could leave people with anything, it's just that it's that we all have a, a sinfully natural, it's natural because of our brokenness desire to create our own image, to make ourselves valuable. What Christ revealed is that, and what he preaches to us daily is that we don't need to do that. We are already, because of Christ, the beloved. And Mm -hmm. the real truth about who we are is that we are God's loved, favored children for Mm -hmm. whom he would die. (laughs) And what this life is really about (laughs) is learning to live as if that's true, because it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think next time we need to talk about, uh, continue talking about the false self and how we, how we uh, escape that and how we live in and and practice the new identity in Christ. Yep. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to the next time we get to sit together here on the back porch. Um, I guess until then, listeners, may the grace of Jesus Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Amen. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostin.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter, and we'll send you a free ebook, A Contemplative Encounter with the Psalms. This is a beautifully designed ebook which combines entirely original art from our network of artists with seven psalms and unique reflections to help you slow down and enjoy your time with God. Also, a big thank you to all of our supporters. Signpost In is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry We exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us yourself with a recurring donation. Visit signpostin.org slash donate to make a donation today. Thank you.